You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, uh, whoever's closest to the candles, if you would like to light our candle of peace right now, that is the Advent candle that we'll be hopping into tonight. Uh, in recent times, we've been going through the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, there are, um, uh, there's, Paul has lots to say about reaching the Gentiles. And if you have been with us and you've heard that theme come up a lot and a lot, the Gentiles are basically the nations outside of Israel, right? So God uh, has selected his people in the Old Testament who will follow him. And he told them that I'm going to bless you. And as you've been blessed one day, you, you, well, even now you are going to become a blessing to the rest of the world. But within that, there's this greater promise coming of a Messiah named Jesus and through Israel, Jesus will be born, and then Jesus will go on to bless the whole world. Uh, so it won't just be Israel. It won't just be the Hebrews, just the Jews who are impacted by uh, the God of the world. One day, all of the nations outside of Israel will also be impacted. Uh, they will also be blessed. And this is what Paul sees happening in Romans. He realizes that God has uh, uh, decided that this is the time that through Jesus, God is reaching out to get all of the nations of the entire world to uh, come and follow him. Now, in the Old Testament, you could actually do this. Basically, what would happen is you would have to follow the customs of Israel and if you did this well enough, you'd then be adopted into the nation of Israel. So you could leave your old nation behind and then kind of become an Israelite. That had always been an option. And when Jesus started showing uh, Paul and all these other Christians, these early Christians, that he wanted to reach all the nations and not just Israel, now... Um, uh, what many of these early Jewish Christians started thinking was, oh, so we do what the law always thought we would do. We go and we try to get them to adopt uh, the Jewish way of life. And just like the law always allowed people of other nations to become Jewish, we do that now. So we'll circumcise them. We'll make them live by the Sabbath. We'll make them live by all the customs that we have, eat kosher, do all these things. And if you remember, as we've been preaching throughout Romans, that made Paul really, really mad. When he started hearing that that people were like circumcising the nations, I mean, he gets mad to the point where he's like, you know, I wish you'd stop mutilating people or that you would be mutilated for it. Like, he, he's not friendly about this idea. And the reason for it is because Paul sees this beautiful thing God is doing. He's not trying to make all the nations become Israel. He's trying to bring all the nations under him. So they are supposed to keep their cultural identities. They're supposed to keep their ethnicity. They're supposed to keep their national identity. They're supposed to keep all of those things. But what they're supposed to do now is subject themselves to King Jesus 
and live in the kingdom of heaven while remaining the national or ethnic people that they are. God is not trying to make everyone in the world an Israelite. God is trying to make all of the nations come and worship him. So the beauty that Paul sees as everyone is... um, beginning to worship Yahweh, beginning to worship Jesus, the beauty that Paul sees is despite the fact that they're different from us, despite the fact that they have different cultures and customs and all that, they too are now brought into the bride of Christ. They now too are becoming Christians. And this is the thing. A lot of times we think that Christianity is supposed to kind of like... uh, undiversify all of us, that it's just supposed to turn us all into like one ethnicity. Whereas Paul's big deal is like, no, we are supposed to to remain diverse, but worship God in our diversity. And so some cultures, as they begin to make Jesus king, they're going to say, oh, you know what? There are these things we always practiced. Uh, We need to stop doing those because if Jesus is our king, he wouldn't have us do these things. Uh, some cultures are going to see things that they need to add in as well. You know, like, you know, there's a bunch of things that we've always, uh, uh, that there's a bunch of themes that God cares about that we've never practiced before. And as we've made Jesus King, now we realize we need to adapt our, our cultural to our culture to, to worship Jesus by bringing in some of these elements of rest or some of these elements of, of concern for A, B, C, D. So nations remain diverse, but they become one beautifully ethnic, diverse bride of Christ. Whereas a lot of times, I think when we preach the gospel, we talk about everybody um, kind of being, I don't know if whitewashed is the right word, uh, but like just kind of uh, thrown into a melting pot until it just becomes one thing, whereas there's kind of this diversity across the church. That being said, like, just because a church service is different from ours, is different down the road, uses different language, has a different culture, has different traditions, techniques, that doesn't make them a not church, doesn't make us not church. It just shows part of the diversity of our cultures coming together, that Uh, There might be beauty in a Latino church, a black church, a Caucasian church, and the most beauty, of course, seen when the church blends all of their diverse elements into one, which is something that we've talked about uh, continuing to work on here at 1208 as well. Uh, Why do I bring this up as we light the candle of peace? The reason I bring this up as we light the candle of peace is when we think of diversity and we think of nations we don't typically think of peace. (laughs) Usually when we think of nations, we think of our differences. We think of our cultural differences, our ethnic differences, our political differences, our ideological differences. We think of the wars that we fought with one another. We think of how we use one another, that we set up these plans with one another. Um, I'll be your friend if you give me this piece of land over here or this oil exchange or blah, 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 you know. And when it comes to thinking about nations in this age right now, we don't typically think of peace. We think of violence, we think of war, we think of differences, but we don't always think of peace. Uh, This fracturing starts right at the beginning of the Bible, right? After Adam and Eve sin, the first thing that they realize 
is that they're naked. And I think part of what that means is they realize, hey, you're different from me. I didn't realize that before. And so right from the beginning of Adam and Eve's story of realizing man and woman are different, you have, you have this fracturing in diversity. Soon you've got um, men trying to rule over in patriarchy and these types of things. You move on and soon you've got the fracturing of family. I mean, it, it doesn't take long before Cain and Abel are at odds with one another and one of them gets killed. You move on and then you've got the fracturing of community. You've got the fracturing of the nations. And one by one, things just fall more and more apart and, and, and get broken up. And that continues to happen all the way throughout the Bible. And we just feel at odds with one another. When we think of nations, we think of being divided and separated. But then Isaiah prophesies something crazy. Isaiah starts prophesying that one day all of the nations will stream into Jerusalem. Not that they will all suddenly become like just like uh, one bland nation, but that all of the nations, Egypt, Africa, and you know, you just insert whatever nation you want. All of the nations, all the continents, everything is one day going to come and and worship God in in this this location where where He dwells. All the nations will will stream up to this spot, and that sounds like peace. That sounds unusual. I mean, some of the things that Isaiah is going to prophesy, he's going to talk about how God is going to raise up people who love him in Egypt. Egypt of all places. I mean, that could have been easy for Israel to hear. Egypt, they put us in slavery. They persecuted us. They killed our babies. They did horrible things to us. They made us work until we died. You're, you're going to raise up people in that nation? God says, yes, I'm going to do crazy things. I'm going to reach all of the nations all of the continents, to the very edge of the world, I will bring everybody to me. And that, of course, is what Paul sees God doing. And Isaiah gives uh, this this, uh, Messiah who's to come to bring about this kind of peace between all the nations. He calls him, this statement that we use a lot around Christmas time, the Prince of Peace. You know, when we hear a statement like that, Prince of Peace, like our minds get rattled a little bit. Like if some, if there's going to be a king, a prince, there's going to be a political leader somewhere that can actually bring about peace. Well, he would have to be God himself. And the Bible gives the answer to that. Yeah, he is. And so God puts on flesh. Jesus is born in a lowly feeding trough. And he's given this title, the the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is here with us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as Jesus goes on to live out what God looks like with skin and bones on, we begin to see what peace is really all about. Rather than be a violent king warrior like all the other king warriors, Jesus focuses on loving his enemies. Rather than harden his heart towards those who hurt him, Jesus forgives those who hurts them and tells us to do the same. And he goes to the ultimate distance that people, as they're murdering him, he turns to God and says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who has empathy for someone while you're being murdered? Jesus does. 
Jesus goes so far as to teach us to forgive anyone as many times as we need to for as many things as they do to us. He tells us that if we truly want to be children of God, then we need to be peacemakers and that that's part of what it means to be a part of the family of God is that we are living our lives in such a way that it creates peace. We are trying to bring peace to earth. But here's the difficulty that we're going to run into at the same time. Satan does not like peace. And that when Satan sees peace being established by God's people, by these Christians, uh, by all these nations who have come to worship him, well, that puts a target on our back. Satan's going to want to stop that and and try to, to break it down. And so we're going to find ourselves feeling attacked as we try to bring about peace. Man, I tell you, some of the times where I think I've been uh, most vocally yelled at about uh, anything in the church has been when I've talked about peace. I mean, when we were having, uh, I mean, even in recent times, we've had these shootings right here in Detroit, but we've we've had, uh, we had quite a long string of shootings back to back for a while. Uh, a few years back. And I remember just talking about, you know, Jesus disarmed Peter. He he took his sword away and said, no more of this. And then he healed the guy that Peter hurt. That's what we're supposed to live like. We need to put our guns away and, and turn them into plow uh, plowshares. You know, we're not supposed to live like that. We need to live towards peace to practice Jesus pacifism. And the people that have yelled at me the most have been because I've preached a peaceful Jesus. <laughs> uh, somehow that that sometimes can make uh, some very angry uh, when we, we're talking about amendments and rights and guns and all that. But I have no concern with those conversations because my conversation is I'm within the citizenship of heaven. What does King Jesus want me to live like? And when I see him disarm Peter, I see him disarm all of us. When I see him tell us to forgive his murderers, then we have to forgive those who hurt us. When I see him tell me to love my enemies and pray for them, well, then I have to do that. Jesus could have acted violently. He himself said, you know, I could call down a legion of angels from heaven right now and take you all out. And he would have had every right to do that. He's God. If that's the way he wanted to go, he could have gone. But that's not the character of God. And so Jesus, while on the cross, instead of calling down angels from heaven to take them off and take out humanity and and continue a cycle of violence, instead he just says, forgive them. And then he conquers our enemy. And then he frees us. Even some of the Pharisees. Uh, which were of the people who especially got Jesus on the cross, even some of the Pharisees get saved after that. I mean, that's that's a peaceful Jesus. And people get angry at, at peaceful Jesus. It causes them to raise up a sword towards us sometimes. But we are to live as a peaceful Jesus nonetheless. And here's here's the beautiful thing. When we think of of nations... Um, in our life, and we think of how they're always at odds with one another, and we think of wars and violence, and that includes us, right? I mean, America is probably one of the most violent of all. We've got nukes like crazy. Our budgets for uh, military are off the charts. I mean, we spend a lot of money on on violence, and when we look at all that, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that we find as much violence as we do in all our media and everything else. That's part of the culture that we're a part of. Part of the culture that Jesus is calling us to redeem. Don't live like this. Leave that part of your culture behind. 
be peaceful like the Prince of Peace. But when we look at the nations that Jesus is rising up, here's part of the beauty in Revelation that we sometimes miss. We often think of the resurrected new creation of, of Revelation, of heaven and earth when they intersect and become one. And we put on these resurrected immortal bodies and we come back to earth and we live here again in the, the new creation with Jesus. When we think of that, we think of everything just being completely um, neutralized across all ethnicities, across all national nationalities, across all cultures, Right? That all Christians will just be the same kind of person. That's not actually the picture the Bible paints. Uh, Revelation 21, 22 to 26 says this. I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamp is its Lamb. So right here you have Jesus is filling the entire world with light and the presence of God is rested on the earth in fullness. But then it says this, by its light will the nations, plural, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. In Revelation, there is not, uh, in the new creation of Revelation, there is not just one ethnicity. There is not just one culture. There is not just one uh, uh, undiverse kind of people. In the new creation, all of the nations are still there. Ethnicity still exists. Culture still exists. What's different now is they are all finally at peace with one another because they are finally under the prince of peace and they are living out the peaceful ways of Jesus and they've been so radically um, changed in this new resurrected body to be like Jesus that they no longer have all this violence within them. They have been redeemed and resurrected. The new creation that is to come is a multicultural ethnic bride of Christ. And that's what Paul was already leaning into and preaching towards in Romans, that we do not all just get bled into to one thing, but we remain the nations while subjecting ourselves to Christ. And so when we think of Prince of Peace, we think of of how peace breaks through in us when we live out the peaceful ways of Jesus, but we also think of the peace that is to come. And I think of the piece that you guys have done here at 1208. I mean, throughout the years, there have been lots of different ways in which you've tried to establish peace uh, in our community, in which you have tried to partner with organizations around town to, to bring about peace, in which you have even gone to the mosque across the street and given Christmas gifts. I think of the ways in which you have uh, opened up your hearts to love others who uh, uh, you might find different than you, might think different than you, and yet you've been kind and loving. Uh, the times in which you've maybe um, come across people that you very much disagree with, and yet you keep your mouth shut because you just want to show them the love of Christ. The people that you sat at tables with and ate with and the stories that have come up 
over those times that you wouldn't have expected to come across otherwise. These are the peaceful ways of Jesus. Eating with one another, like we've done with dinner church, that's the peaceful ways of Jesus. Nothing neutralizes your situation more than putting everybody at the same table, regardless of age or gender or ethnicity, and just sharing a meal. I think there's a very uh, um, very good reason that Jesus did that so much throughout his ministry. Put everybody on the same page, and it brought about peace. So as we continue to live out peace, especially in a world that uh, is in desperate need of it, just think about the ways in which God can really break through you right now. Uh, Whether it be um, uh, just the amount of pain that I've seen people going through all across, uh, I mean, all across the world right now, but uh, the many different people in which I'm praying with and and working with to try to help through all the different things that they're going with. I know you're doing the same. Right now, people are dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. We just had this grieving service last week because we know how much pain and how much grief people are going through. Uh, And uh, the prayer requests that we continue to lift up for one another. These are ways in which we're establishing peace. So think of all the different ways, both spiritual, physical, that you can love on one another that you can be a breakthrough over the Prince of Peace for them in this time. Let's continue to, to show the world what Christmas is all about, about in this way, uh, the, a taste of that peace that, that is to come. Okay, uh, let me pray for you, and uh, we'll let you out a little early. And if you have food that you want to grab on the way out as well, uh, feel free to do that. Again, we'll distribute whatever's left when we can, but... Um, we also would like to, we just want to make sure none of it just gets stuck in a freezer forever. So take something if you see something you like. Guy, lift up my friends and family here at 1208. Um, it's hard to feel at peace these days. I mean, even right now, I'm stuck in quarantine. I'm only 10 hours away from being out and I feel unrest and unpeace in me. Uh, having to talk through a video screen to to everyone. Um, just the simple things like that sometimes can can bring us to to difficult places. But God, we're all dealing with our own stuff to different levels. I pray that you would work in all our hearts, that you would bring us closer to you. Uh, I pray uh, that we would get a taste of, of peace in even a supernatural way. God, we know that um, peace is a fruit of your spirit which means you grow it in us as we cultivate the soil for you to grow it. Uh, So would you help us to cultivate the soil and experience your supernatural peace? But God, the Bible also talks about a peace that passes understanding. And I've experienced that before too, where there are moments where I just feel like I am completely absorbed in anxiety and that there is no reason whatsoever that I should even feel a little bit peaceful. And yet... At the same time, I feel fine. Jesus, you don't want us to live in violence. You don't want us to live in anxiety. You don't want us to live in um, all of the pain that that Satan can bring about us. And and that's why you come in to free us from all that. Free us through forgiveness. Free us through um, your peace. Free us through uh, your unviolent ways of, of living. So Prince of Peace, we give our hearts to you. You are in charge of us. You are in charge of 
of us because you are our king. So we give our culture over to you and ask that you redeem it. We give our nation over to you and ask that you will redeem it, knowing that one day uh, all that will be left is, is peace as you bring about the fullness of your kingdom. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you stand out against the grain of, of all the uh, ways that we've been taught to live and that you didn't just tell us to live a certain way, but you exemplified it for us. Taking on flesh, loving us so much that you would go to the point of death just to make it clear. Your heart melts for us as you sink to the point of death itself, like an ultimate romance, jumping in the way of the bullet, love sick for, for the people that you are reaching, for humanity, for the world to come and know you. So here we are. May those who don't know you come to experience your peace through you and through us. And may we too come to experience your peace as we give our lives over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I love you guys. You have a, a good rest of your week. If we don't see you on Christmas Eve, have a Merry Christmas. If we do see you on Christmas Eve, have a Merry Christmas also. Uh, we'll talk to you then. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll catch you guys later. Thanks.